Annapolis, everything there but the original 140 Africans had become 98 who had survived the voyage, which was about average for slave ships. Another little interesting side thing I happened to sort of stumble upon in the course of the research was that percentage-wise, more whites, crew, died on slave ships than slaves did. The Lord Ligonier would bear it out. She had left England with a full crew of 36, and she arrived in Annapolis with 18 of them alive. At that time, I knew that if you had cargo as valuable as slaves to sell, then as now, one would advertise. And I went now looking for the records of the media of the day. I went into the microfilm records of the Maryland Gazette, the issue of October 1st, 1767, page three, the far left column, the third ad down, there was the Lord Ligonier's ad, placed by its agents, that she had, quote, just arrived from the River Gambia with fresh slaves to be sold the following Wednesday. And then that auction was held. Now I had one thing left to pin down beyond any question, that the miracle indeed had been achieved through the help of God. That's the only way I can feel about it. I had to be able to pin down that without question that was the same African I'd heard about. And my clue now went back to the front porch in Henning, Tennessee, that always Grandma and Aunt Liz and Cousin George and Aunt Plus and Aunt Viney and all of them would talk about this African always had rejected the name Toby, which he had been given by his master. And I knew that they had always said that Massa John Waller bought him off the ship. And later, after his foot had been cut off, Massa William Waller, the brother of John, had bought him from his brother. It was oral history kept down across generations of a black family in America. And I had had things now which tended to make me great reliance in what Grandma had said. I didn't doubt it at all anymore, but the thing was trying to document it. I went now to Richmond, Virginia, and got again into that experience of working in that world of the old-fashioned handwriting, the F's like S's. I'm working now in the longhand legal deeds of the 1760s, Spotsylvania County, Virginia. And I searched and searched and searched, and I believe it was in the fourth week that I found what I had been looking for. There it was, a deed dated September 5th, 1768. Kunta Kinte by that time would have been 11 months in this country, a colonial America. And there was a deed, Spotsylvania County, Virginia, between William Waller on the one part and John Waller and his wife on the other, transferring from John and his wife Anne to William Goods. The first page dealt with the transfer of 240-odd acres of land, the fences and other things on that land. And then on the second page, I think it was about the fifth line down, between two commas, were the words, quote, and also one Negro man slave named Toby. That brought it full circle. There was no question. It was gulpy. It was.
was my God time. The rest of the research, I could stand up here six hours, I guess, and talk, but I'm not going to do that. It would just be telling about what happened in the way of the research, the drama, the adventure of it, across nine years, finally to flesh out the book that took another three years to write, the book called Roots. I learned, I've tried to share with people a lot about the history of black people. And when I got myself very aware of the history of black people, I began to reflect upon how little I had known at the outset. What a hoax I felt had been pulled on me by many forces that I had gotten to be a grown man and knew next to nothing about my own people. That all I had known about Africa, the ancestral culture of us had, as I say, been drawn from Tarzan, Jungle Jim sort of things. And that I knew little about slavery, really. And then I got to reflecting that if this had been the case with me, what did I know about other people? And I just got curious, me, black, but me, human being, about other peoples. So what I began to do was just for me to go into the libraries, with which I'm pretty familiar by now, and just do a little peripheral study about virtually every ethnic group of the peoples who comprise the population of this United States of America. And what I began to discover, and what collectively I know has enriched me as few things I have, at least so I feel, is that it does not matter who they are, from whence they came, but every single ethnic group in this country, if you go back and you study and you know about that group of people in whatever was their old country, their trials, their problems, their tribulations, their frustrations, in some cases persecutions, if you know about the hope, the beacon that America represented, about the time they came to the immigrant generation, and then the generation that got here and assimilated, that what you deal with with every ethnic group on the face of this country is a thrilling, stirring human drama in this nation of immigrants in which black people happen to be the only unwilling immigrants. None of us ever must forget that blacks were the only ones who came here in chattel slave status and in chains in this nation of immigrants. And then I reflected about how it seems to me that all of us, every one of us, it does not matter who, have a stake in something that I thought to be one of the most stirring, moving, dramatic, heart-rending things I came upon in the study of the culture of Africa for the book Roots. And that was the thing that had to do with how the babies were named. In this land that we have all heard about as heathens and savages peopling it, that in this land, 200, 300, 400 years ago, in any little village, when a baby was born, the people of the village would not see much of the father for seven days because he was occupied with going about keeping pretty much to himself thinking up a good, meaningful, significant name for this infant. 
And bear in mind, these are these heathens and savages we've heard so much about, and that these babies are the ancestors of we black people here today. On the eighth day, the people of the village would gather at that particular little circular mud-walled home with the thatched roof, and there would be a stool sitting just outside. The people brought with them, in the Mandinka culture anyway, a jolly bar, a drummer, who brought a cylindrical drum called the Tantang. And then they had another man there who's the equivalent of our minister. They called him the Alemamo. And the jolly bar would give a roll on his drum, and the people would stand rigidly at attention. A second roll on the drum, and the mother, who had been inside waiting for that signal, now would step out and sit herself on this stool, holding the little eight-day-old black infant, these heathens and savages. The third roll on the drum, and the Alemama would step forth and bless the gathering, because this had happened to everybody there when they were eight days of age. And then the next roll, the father, would come from the bush. He was waiting somewhere just for this signal. And now this father would walk over with every eye on him, his fellow villagers, his neighbors, his tribesmen, and he would walk over to where the mother sat holding this little eight-day-old infant. And the father now would bend, and he would lift up this infant, and he would turn it so that one of its ears was very close to his lips. And into that tiny ear, that father would whisper the name he had selected three times. And the thinking of these alleged heathens and savages in doing it this way was that the individual thus named always would be the first to know who he was. Those are the ancestors of us as a people. And it seems to me that the symbolism for us all, having nothing to do with our race, whatever race we may be, but just us people as human beings, it seems to me the potential of us and the symbol for us is contained in the second part of the baby naming ceremony. And that was that night when the father now alone would take his infant a distance away from the village and he would hold it up so that its face, its eyes looked up toward the firmament, the stars and the moon. And the father would speak to his infant Again, the symbol for us all and our potentials, the quote, behold, the only thing greater than thyself. Thank you. Oh, you welcome, Mr. Alex Haley. Yes, Alex Haley is no longer with us. Uh, let's see. Yes, he is deceased, and this recording was in 1977, and this was uh, tells the story of his search for roots, the book, the novel. <laughs> 